he's like, you know, we need more offense. And I said, well, I need to be on a more offensive line. You know, you can't, it's hard to score on this. It's hard to score in the league if you're not on the power play. And it wasn't even that I wasn't on the power play. It's, it's just, you know, everything leads into one thing and that's confidence. So you, you touch a puck a little bit more on the power play. You make more plays in the power play. That confidence just builds and builds and builds and all. It's like the game slows down, like you said earlier. And so he goes, okay, I'll put you with Yashin and Kozlov. And the moment that happened, it like turned. You know, first game I had two goals, one assist. Next game I had a goal and two assists. I'm just using an example. I don't remember. Yeah. Like, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I do actually. <laughs> but, uh, you know, <laughs> things just, I mean, it like didn't stop. That was Jason Blake, former UND fighting saint, Los Angeles King, New York Islander, Toronto Maple Leaf, Anaheim Mighty Duck, a player of 871 NHL games, an NHL All-Star in one of those seasons, a Bill Masterson Trophy winner, a cancer survivor, a U.S. Olympic team member in 2006, but most importantly, he was my training camp roommate in 1999 with the Los Angeles Kings, and you are listening to the Up My Hockey Podcast with Jason Podolan. Welcome to Up My Hockey with Jason Podolan, where we deconstruct the NHL journey, discuss what it takes to make it, and have a few laughs along the way. I'm your host, Jason Podolan, a 31st overall draft pick who played 41 NHL games, but thought he was destined for a thousand. Learn from my story and those of my guests. This is a hockey podcast about reaching your potential. So today we have on Jason Blake. Jason, as you heard in the intro, had an 871 game career, another 30 games in the playoffs. Uh, primarily, the majority of his career was with the New York Islanders. We talk about those amazing seasons where he scored 25, 22, 28, 40 goal seasons. Uh, really stepped into his own right. But we go back even further, as we do with this show, to figure out how Jason Blake became Jason Blake. And uh, super wild. We talk about him not knowing whether he's going to play golf, be a golf pro, or be a hockey player. Uh, was a late arrival to the USHL, was a late arrival to the university program, uh, was 24 years old when he signed his first pro deal. And, uh, and that's where him and I became in contact with each other with, with the Los Angeles Kings. I was already four, three or four years into a pro career. He was just coming out of university, uh, three years older than me. Uh, I was a washed up veteran by this point, and he was a shiny new penny, as, uh, as goes the deal sometimes with hockey. And we talk about that transition, or like not the transition, but the, uh, the polarities, you know, of, of what that's like and, and, uh, and how that affects different people at different times and how the path matters, you know, and how one of Jason's biggest turning points or not really a turning point for him, but a real struggle was uh, with the year he redshirted when he left from Ferris State uh, on his way to North Dakota and he wasn't allowed to play for a year uh, and how that was really a defining moment for him uh, to get through that and how he got through that. And then another defining moment when he got into L.A. and was traded to the New York Islanders and realized there were some things that he had to clean up and to figure out. Uh, and then getting established as an NHLer, 
uh, in the aisle and uh, and growing his role and earning the trust from the coach and getting more minutes and getting more ice time and getting more production um, where he really felt at home, watched the crowd get behind him and the support grow. And then having to leave, you know, his his safe place of New York and, and go to Toronto where he was diagnosed with cancer in training camp. We go through all kinds of stuff here. We go through it so thoroughly uh, that we don't even get to some really good stuff, uh, like the Olympics. We didn't even talk about the Olympics. I can't believe we didn't talk about the Olympics. But we did talk about his bout with cancer and what that was like, and that's towards the end of the show. So please make sure you listen to this one. Really good stuff. There are awesome takeaways. Um, yeah, and some really good stories about Long Island and Mike Milbury and... and uh, trying to find the edge, you know, to play the game at five foot nine, yet to be successful and, uh, and how to do that and how he was pushed at different times by different people uh, to allow him to become the uh, longtime NHLer, uh, the productive NHLer that he was. Uh, we do cover the training camp. We were together when, uh, when Jason blew his knee out and, um, you know, spent a lot of time together at that training camp. So we, we have a personal history. I ended up playing my last NHL game, we do, which we don't talk about, uh, with the New York Islanders. He was in that lineup that game. So Jason was a part of my last game in the NHL. And, um, and yeah, as, as things go, our per- careers paths uh, crossed and changed and, and veered and uh, one thing remains the same, though, that when I reached out to Jason on uh, on Messenger, uh, it was quick to get in touch with him, and I really appreciate him stepping in here and doing this. Um, great career, great guy, uh, lots to learn from this conversation. Like I said, hope you stick around to the end, because not many people play an entire year um, with cancer, uh, with cancer, r- going through the recovery of cancer while trying to play uh, in the greatest league in the world, in a new city to boot with new teammates, new fans, new everything. So uh, that's really good stuff. So without further ado, I bring you Mr. Jason Blake. All right, here we are. Welcome to the Up My Hockey podcast special guest. And uh, and as you've announced already offline, uh, the best the best training camp roommate a guy could ask for, Mr. Uh, Jason Blake. How you doing, Blakey? I'm good. Thanks for asking. It's been a long Yeah, it certainly has been a long time, man. Um, it's so funny, like, going over the rap sheets, too, meaning, like, the hockey DB in the back of the hockey card. You know, like, we – I started – I guess we started together at the beginning of your pro career, you know, and I was like in the middle of it. And then we crossed paths again in LA, like my, my, not LA in New York, my last ever NHL game. And then you obviously continued on. I went to Europe and uh, just kind of interesting the way, the way paths go. And I know you're not super familiar with, with the podcast here. However, um, we like to talk about the journey. I mean, I really like to talk about that. Uh, The backbone kind of Blakey is like how, how do we get to where we want to go, right? And how do we do it really well? Uh, and and kind of to take away the misconception that it's always the best and the brightest and the shiniest penny that gets to these NHL positions. It's, I mean, it's a different path for everybody, right? And sometimes yeah. it's opportunity, sometimes it's whatever. And and I know your story in particular is super cool. And especially looking at it now, like where you started and where you finished. And um, we're going to dig into as much as we can, if, if that's all right with you. That sounds great. Super. Uh, I want to start the USHL because I mean your your path 
started late. You know, I mean, a lot of guys coming out of college do. You somehow, you know, you avoid the NHL uh, draft as an 18-year-old, as a 19-year-old. Uh, looks like you got into that league, like that junior, like the USHL, even late. Uh, can we just talk about maybe that, like how how you got there and why you were a little bit of a late arrival? Well, I mean, <clears throat> I mean, times have changed now, but back then, you know, there's only 10 teams in the USHL, and I didn't really know much about it. I mean, I grew up in Morehead, Minnesota, and you know, it's four hours. Sorry, four hours north of uh, Minneapolis, and you know, I was a good high school hockey player there, but, you know, you come down to Minneapolis, the, the pool is so much larger and there's so many more guys. And, you know, I just finished up my high school career in Moorhead. We were fortunate to, my senior year of high school was the first Moorhead team to ever go to the state tournament. We lost to Bloomington Jefferson in the final. Probably doesn't mean much to you, but I mean, they, they went, went on and won three state championships. Mark Parrish was a part of that team. Mike Crowley was a part of that team. Um, so they, you know, and after that, I mean, I, I, I also played golf in high school and probably back then I was maybe a little bit better golfer than I was a hockey player. I focused on that a little bit more. Um, and a guy called me up probably a week, two weeks after Rob Grillo was his name. He was the coach of the Waterloo Blackhawks and said that he drafted me in the USHL and I didn't even know what the USHL was. I'm like, <laughs> going to florida to play golf but thank you so then i talked to my parents and they're like no you're going to play you're going to go play hockey and i'm like wow i, I wanted to play golf because everybody's dream is to play in the nhl or play college hockey i just didn't know if that dream would ever come true um with an open mind and i just was fortunate to go to waterloo and have good success there and had a great time and you know and i was a lot of guys are leaving now when they're seniors in high school. Like my son, he's a junior. He played his first 15 games in, in Chicago in the USHL, came came back to play the high school season, and then he went back, and they just ended up winning the USHL championship last weekend. Sweet. Yeah, it was pretty cool. But, you know, I, I think that every kid's dream is to play, but is it a reality, you know, and is it a reality with, the parents and you know i just was fortunate to go to waterloo in a good situation good coaches and that's kind of where i developed maybe to get to the next level and that's college and I how mean, crazy is that though so you were like you were this close to not even being a hockey player like you're gonna go play golf and pursue that and you're like okay this hockey thing's been good nice run got to the state championships in high school and uh, you're ready to turn the page essentially well kind of i mean i loved hockey i just i mean i think you know, when, you, when you're playing high school hockey in Moorhead, I mean, like I said, I was a good player, but if I come down here, I'd be just middle of the road in Minneapolis. That's where I'm living now. And, you know, it's just, I'm like, well, shit, I might as well go play golf. I mean, I enjoyed golf. Once hockey was over every year, I put my, my uh, hockey bag in the attic and it never came out until hockey season next year. I mean, times are a little different now. Kids are training all the time and and you know putting more effort into the one sport than versus two or three sports so yeah it is crazy i look back and it's like holy cow i'm glad i made the right decision or made that decision <laughs> do you think um a little bit of a sidetrack you got kids now and obviously a, a kid that's a pretty darn good player yourself uh or him, himself do you think that there's there's room for that still like a a player that you know, does hockey during hockey and, and is just an athlete outside of that? Or, or do you think that with the way the times are now, you, you got to be more of a one sport 
one sport pony? Well, I don't know. I mean, I know that there's been talk about it for years and, but I also think, you know, when you're growing up, you're, you are playing multiple sports and then you just kind of weed out the one that's, or weed out the ones that you don't like as much as the other sport. And I think there is a lot of emphasis on, on, you know, kids gearing just one sport. I think their parents are all in on the one sport, whether it's hockey, baseball, football, it doesn't matter what sport it is. I mean, I know in hockey in Minnesota, I mean, if you're playing hockey in Minnesota, it's, it's 11, 11 and a half month sport. I mean, you can literally play every weekend. And, you know, I know that like my son just came home from Chicago yesterday and he's basically in a week, he's going to start working out and getting ready for the draft and getting ready for the next season. And, and he's going to play in Chicago the whole year, his senior year next year. And I mean, I think it's crazy because I, I also want him to be a kid and, and enjoy other things. And, you know, today's on the golf course. So, I, you know, it's, it's nice to have that, that other sport as a backup plan. I mean, but I mean, I think at the end of the day, kids are, are really geared towards, if you're a hockey player, you're playing hockey. Mm -hmm. I don't see a lot of, or, you know, you're playing golf for fun, but I don't see a lot of kids playing multiple sports anymore. Can it be done? Of course it can. There's a lot of great athletes out there. There's, I mean, we have guys that play hockey on our high school team that play baseball and they're really good baseball players. I mean, they're probably maybe better baseball players than they are hockey players. Um, but you know yeah i just think like it it happens so young now it just seems like i mean there's the in every association every organization like nine ten year olds like considering themselves hockey players and like and that to me is a little bit crazy and but you mean but i'm you become a victim of your environment too because like my my oldest who's 11 i mean he is interested in other stuff and he does do other things right but like it's it's a little bit forced by me right like you you need to do other things other than hockey like he wants to be on the ice all the time like you know, we just put the bag away after our spring season and he's already asked me when he can go on the ice again. And I mean, which I love, but I also like, you know, let's go play some baseball. Let's go kick the soccer ball around. You're like, let's go do something else. Right. And, and get you a little more well-rounded and, and you know, get, get you involved in these other sports. So um, it's tough when you got a kid that's that keen, you know, to, to pull the reins on him and say, you know, no, let, let's, let's do something else and try and get back to a little bit more of a traditional style that maybe you and I grew up with. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you said the right word, well-rounded, you know, and it's, you know, as hockey players, I mean, the year when we grew up, Jason, it was totally different than what it is now, hands down. And it's like, for my son, I mean, he's 17 now, so he's going to choose what he wants, his, his path. But as as kids, I mean, everybody wants to play in the NHL, and everybody thinks they can play in the NHL, or play at a higher level, right? Well, when that doesn't come you know that dream doesn't come i'm not saying it's not going to come you know it's always nice to to have something else in your life because i mean it's like it's disappointment oh shoot i didn't make it you know i didn't get a division one scholarship i didn't get a scholarship to go to college or i didn't go play in the ohl i mean for you guys in canada you play in the ohl whl i mean you're you're all in when you when you go play i mean you guys are leaving at 16 right i mean here it's North America is so geared or, or the United States is geared for more college than, than your leagues in Canada. And it's like, if you don't get that scholarship, I mean, there's other sports that you, cause most hockey players are athletic. So, right. you know, you can play other sports too. And I mean, I know multiple, multiple people that play different sports in high school, but I mean, if you want to be a hockey player, I guess be a hockey player. <laughs> it's yeah. hard 
year old. I have an eight-year-old that's the same way. I mean, all he wants to do, he's only eight, and all he wants to do is shoot pucks in the net. And, and this, I'm like, let's go play catch with baseball. And then I watch him catch a baseball. I'm like, let's go back to the hockey net. <laughs> I'm like, holy cow, we got to work on this. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. Yeah, which is great. You mean, and I hear NHL trainers saying that now too, like that it is interesting because – I mean, you mentioned that hockey players are athletes, and I always thought that they were because, I mean, hockey in itself is a very athletic, right? It's very dynamic. You have to do a lot of things at once, which would be prone to being just, you know, an athlete. But now there's NHL trainers that, like, I've talked to, like, these guys don't even know how to throw a football or catch one or, you know what I mean? Like, they've just – because it's this new generation that's all they've ever done, like, from a young age is hockey, right? Like, and they're not well-rounded anymore. So I don't know if that makes you a better hockey player or what does – um, like you said, you mean not everybody is going to play in the NHL, and I just think the exposure to other sports and being a good athlete and well-rounded is just a good people skill, life skill, right? And might as well do it as long as you can. It's going to get serious for those guys, like you said, at some point, whatever that is, 14, 15, 16, where you're going to have to make a choice, right, if you're going to want to keep up. I don't think that happens prior to that. But anyways, back to you, man. Waterloo Blackhawks, 100-point season as a 19-year-old, right? A 19-year-old? Yeah. So as a 19-year-old, it, so for you, it sounds like, like although NHL, obviously you knew existed, you knew it was there, that was the big dream. You were, you had your sights set a, a, on a on a scholarship. That's where you wanted to go first and foremost, correct? Yeah, I mean, I wanted. To, I grew up in Grand Forks for thirteen years. I wanted to play for the Fighting Sioux, you know, and but then again, it's like you you, you didn't get an offer. I I, ne- I never really got an offer from them, and. You know, I'm, I'm sure you're going to touch on it. I went to Ferris State for a year because I thought, you know, like, again, you know, the NHL is so in the distance of, of my mind. I mean, do you want to be there? Of course. you want to play? Of course. But at the end of the day, like, are you going to make it? I was five. I mean, you, we worked out together in the summer. I was five foot nine. I mean, I worked, my work ethic was good, but you never know you're going to get there. And so I went to Ferris State for a year because they were there was only four schools that offered the PGM program. So I went on a visit there. That's pro golf management to be a golf pro at a golf course. And I'm like, you know what? I'll I'll have that to fall back on. Like I'll play my college hockey, but I'll I'll be involved in that. I'll be involved in golf. And if it doesn't work out, then I can be a golf pro at a golf course. Would I have been happier? No. I made the right decision. So that's, you know. When I was in Waterloo my second year, I had, I'm not going to say multiple scholarship offers. I mean, that'd be just lying to you. I had interest, but what what sort of interest? So I just chose Ferris State because I'm like, they're the top program in the country for the PGM program. I can play golf, play hockey, go to school for free on a full scholarship. And at the end of the day, I'll work at a golf course, hopefully somewhere warm. Yeah, okay, so awesome. So you take the opportunity that's in front of you after an unbelievable USHL um, season. Do you think, like just looking back on it now, like you did seem like tailor-made, fast, you know, skilled uh, for the for the college system. What what was, how come there weren't more offers, do you think? Well, because it was super early in the year. Um, I had interest after my first year of juniors. And I had, I think I had, I'm not hundred percent sure, like 50, 55 points or something. Um, and then my second year, I just, you know, the USHL is a development league. Um, and at that time, most of the guys that played in the USHL were guys that were seniors in high school or 
guys that graduated from high school. Now it's shifted a little bit where younger guys are coming out of high school to play in this league and the league speaks for itself. It's, it's unbelievable. Um, you know, I don't know. I, it was earlier on things, things kind of took off, you know, right at the drop of the puck, my second year of the Waterloo. And I just kind of just got, was like, Whoa, like things were going really well. And I was putting a lot of points on the board and, and then I started getting some calls and I mean, cause I knew that again, it falls back to the NHL thing. Like you never know. So I knew that I, I, I knew that the golf thing would work out not to play on the tour or anything, but I knew I could work at a golf course and be happy, yeah. you know? So that's kind of why I chose Ferris State. And Ferris State was a great school, great coaching. Bob Daniels was the coach, awesome guy, awesome guys. Um, and then I had a, you know, I made the all rookie team my first year, um, or all freshman team, or whatever you call it, CCHA. And then I decided to leave, come back home to North Dakota. That's when they stepped up, and gave me <laughs> just right. longer. I mean, what, what I think, and I mean, I've covered a lot. I mean, I think this is episode 68 or something. So I had a ton of conversations with some really interesting individuals, most most past teammates, you know, but, uh, and and so from different points in the career, but like just even listening to you right now and trying to contract contrast that with me, right? Like you said, I left home at 16 to play for the Spokane Chiefs, mm-hmm. highly touted prospect as a minor leaguer, right? Like youth hockey player. Um playing for the Canada's national team at a young age, right? Like second round draft pick 31st overall. Like it was all about the NHL. You know what I mean? Like it was, it would have been a massive failure in my mind. And kind of, it was actually really at the end of the day, like sort of what happened, but like to not be in the NHL, you know, whereas you're 20 years old now in Ferris state and just work, maybe I'll be a golf pro. You know what I mean? Like to me, that's such, that's so wild. Like our two, are two different approaches and then like obviously how they cross and intersect and then how you end up, you know, playing on the Olympic team, how you end up being an NHL or, you know, $20 million contract. I mean, the rest, the rest goes on and on, but it's, it's, it's so individual, right? Like the path is so individual. And I think that's such a beautiful thing about the sport because like you said, you mean not, there's only 700 jobs there, right? But it's, it's weird how those 700 jobs, like where they all come from. And that's funny that you say that because that is so true. I mean, you look at, you look at when, when we were playing hockey or when we were gearing to the NHL, you know, some of these states, you would be like, no. I mean, one of the best hockey players in the, in, in the, in the world right now is from Phoenix, Arizona. I mean, who would ever think of that? Austin Matthews. I mean, who would ever think of that? And, I mean, it is that is the cool thing about our sport or about hockey is that you have so many different backgrounds and sports. But most of the guys are, are, you know, it's it's a kind of fraternity. We all get along off the ice. It's just on the ice, you have different different feelings about each other. But I mean, at the end of the day, it's like everybody comes from somewhere, um, different culture, different this, different that. But I mean, I look back at now, and I'm like, you know, you're seeing all these young guys come up, and they all come from, you know, Arizona, Florida. And you're like, holy crap, our, our sport's growing. And, but at the end of the day, you want to get the one point, and that's the NHL. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I want to talk about that a little bit more because even when we met at, at, at L.A., like when you're coming in as like, you know, the new shiny penny, yet older than me, and I was almost like washed <laughs> up and been traded. And, you know what I mean? Like it's so yeah. weird. Like that whole thing is weird too. But how do you get from Ferris State to North Dakota? Like, I don't understand that there's a Canadian that's unfamiliar with that system. Like, you're committed to a school, and then you're able to transfer. How does that How does that happen? 
Well, that was a tough situation. So I've known a guy, he, he was my college coach, Dean Blaze, for a long time. Um, my He was the assistant coach when I grew up in Grand Forks. He was very good friends with my father. And the year that I went to Fair State, that's the year he got hired as the head coach for University of North Dakota. And we, we it was kind of funny, we went to Grand Forks to play um, the Fighting Sioux when I was a freshman at Ferris State. And it just kind of kind of came about. Like, I, that's where I wanted to play my college hockey, no matter what. I mean, I grew up there. I got to watch, you know, Dave Tippett. I mean, now he's a coach at Edmonton. I mean, all these guys, he's just one. Uh, uh, Eddie Belfour. I right. mean, these guys, Tony Herkis, Bobby Joyce. I mean, y- you know, you watch these guys, and that's what you aspired to do. If, if it comes your way. And when I had an opportunity to go back home, I had to sit out a year, which was probably the most difficult year of my life or one of them. Um, but I sucked it up and, and practiced and worked out hard that whole year and got ready to, for the following year. And practice where? I got to practice with the guys on a daily basis at UND. So, okay. So you're allowed to be on campus. You're going to, you're going to class. Yep. Correct. I- I, I could do everything except for playing the games. Cause and, I just, and, that, and that's red shirting. That's what that yeah, means. That's what it was. And it, I mean, believe me, it sucked. I mean, he would tell me, I would have talks with him once a week, my head coach. And I remember him sitting me down and, and it's not like, well, you know me. So it's not like I was like party or anything, but he sat, he sat me down right before, right when hockey started, he said, this could go one of two ways. If you do this, it'll go good. If you, you know, party or go to school and party all the time, it's going to go the opposite direction. And I just focused on, you know, just working out. Cause when I was in high school, I never worked out like, like they do now. I never lifted weights, never did anything. I mean, like I said, when hockey was over, all I did was play golf. I'd be at the range for two, three hours, hitting balls, go play 18 holes, get back on the range for another hour. I mean, that's all I did. And so now times have changed where they're, I mean, at 16, they're like got personal trainers and, and they're gearing up, you know, plyometrics and agility. I never did that. Or I don't know if you did. I mean, back in the day, I mean, we just didn't do that. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, that's what I did that whole year. It, I mean, it, it literally sucked, but that's yeah. what I Do you think it got you better? I think it, it, it kind of woke me up a little bit, to be honest with you, because I never, I mean, when I came into college, even at Ferris State, I was only 160 pounds, um, same size, five foot, I always say five nine, but probably not five nine. But, um, you know, it's, uh, I learned how to, I guess that's where I learned my work ethic, to be honest with you. And that's, that's obviously the thing that got got me to where I wanted to go was my work ethic. And I mean, it was a struggle, but yeah, that's all I did was lift weights with the, the, the strength coach. And I, I ran stairs all the time in the building. I mean, when they had pregame skates, I'd be running stairs cause I couldn't, you know, they were getting ready for the game and I wasn't playing. So that's yeah. interesting. Yeah. Because you know, we, we haven't really got into that, but I mean, we, I don't know what the right word is undersized, like an undersized player, especially back in the nineties. You know what I mean? Like it was a big league, really big league um, to be five, eight, right. You had to do a lot of other things, right. You know, and you had to have high standards, personal standards, right. Because it'd be easy to be overlooked. Um, 
so you don't think you really dialed those standards in till like that red shirt year like that's when you started to develop the identity of like what you kind of held on to the first for the rest of your career yeah hands down yeah i remember going into ferris state i mean the summer before i you know i got a full scholarship to go to ferris state in hockey and you know they went on to win a national championship years after I was there, Chris Kunitz played there. And uh, so they were a good school. I mean, they had a good hockey program in the CCHA, which no longer exists, but um, I never lifted any weights before I went to college, nothing. I mean, I just, whatever. I remember, you know, in in college, usually the first month is dry land and and strength training. Um, That's kind of the norm. I, I don't know if they still do that. But that's kind of the norm. And for the whole month of September, you know, you'd work out Monday, Wednesday, Friday as a team with our strength coach, and then Tuesday, Thursday, and then you know, some Saturdays you'd do you'd run. And I remember going there and I was like, holy shit, <laughs> I'm way out of my league right now. Cause I didn't ever lift it. I could barely lift 130 pounds on the bed. Right. You know, right. I'm sure you were 16, you were doing that. So freshman in college i'm like god right you know what did you so i mean so that helped your um i mean your body must have physically changed then too if you were like 160 pounds because i mean you you're you know you were pretty rock solid back back when i met you so then those those college years you must have been able to thicken up hey like get, put some weight on and, yeah. and you were able to hold it yeah i mean that like i said that whole year that's all i did was worked out and I mean, I skated every day and I would, you know, there was the, the rink was ours, you know, in North Dakota. So I could skate whenever I wanted to skate. But like when the guys got done with morning skates and stuff, I would stay out there for another half hour and screw around and, and stuff. But for the most part, yeah, that's right. what I worked out and ran stairs. So, yeah, so you take a year off. That's so crazy. So you're, how old are you when this is happening? 21. 21 years old. 21 years old, you're registering in college. I think I just scored 35 goals or just played 25 <laughs> games with the Florida Panthers already, you know, at yeah. that age. You've been traded for Kirk Muller, I think, by that age, right yeah. right around then. That's so nuts. Um, anyways, enough about that. But so you go to North Dakota, you, you end up starting to play. You win a national championship there. Yep. Right? And that was in 97. Did I get that right? Yep. No. And then, so you play two more years after that, and you you had good years, but there was no NHL interest then until that last year. Um. Well, after the year we won the national championship in '97, we beat Boston University, um, and they had a really good team. I mean, Sean Bates was on that team, Chris Drury, Tom Pauly. Um, we we were fortunate to beat them. I mean, I don't know. There was some interest, but I mean, I guess what's the hurry? You know, and I decided to stay and. And, uh, well, not that there was like big interest, there was some and probably playing the NHL or something like, or IHL. Um, but I stayed and then the following year was a rough year for me. Um, so, you know, then I just said, well, I come back my last year playing. And did you, um, there's something to be said though, about that, about that process, you know, and like the, how different our paths were. Like I said, like everything was about the NHL and getting there because everyone was telling me I was supposed to be there. And, you know, maybe at 19, even like I was thinking I was last cut at 18 or 19 from the Panthers, right? Like it was really close to being there. Yet looking back on it, you know, in two, three, four years in like a a lower, 
in, in, in a developmental environment where you're playing twice a day, like college, right? Where you're working out all the time and working on your physical body, right? To get strong enough. And it's yep. like, so it's not such a rush, right? Like it's, uh, there's some advantages there, but it's hard not to feel like you're not at the party, I think too, you know? Well, I think, yeah, you're a hundred percent right, Jace. I mean, a hundred percent right. I think I, I try to tell parents it's not a sprint. It's a marathon. You're, every kid, every kid, is different. I mean, we're different. Every kid's body's different. Everybody's different maturity level. They'll let you know when they're ready to go. And I mean, we've had this conversation with some parents here. Um, well, I'll just say the Middlestead family, you know, Casey plays for Buffalo and it was, you know, they were so gung ho about leaving. And I'm like, why do you want to leave? Is, you know, I mean, what's the, and I get it that you see dollar signs and you see money, but at the end of the day, I mean, you got to do what's best for yourself is, just because someone's going to pay you 900 grand, which is a lot of money, don't get me wrong, but they're going to pay you that next year. So what's your hurry to, to go? Like, there's no, it's not a sprint. It's a marathon. Everyone's different. Everyone, I mean, you've seen little kids at 11 years old, 12 years old, go end to end and score goals, right? Well, at 16, 17, are they doing the same thing? No, that little guy that wasn't doing that is now, now doing that. And I like everybody's body matures differently. Yeah guys peak early some guys don't peak late i mean it is what it is and i i have always said i mean i did take a longer path but when i look back as far as my path that i went on i would never change it right i mean yeah. obviously yeah. where I, I i wanted to play in the nhl when i went to north dakota that dream started to become in my mind more reality like yours was when you were 16 17 when you got drafted and mine now mine started to come like i said the other last week i knew i was gonna after we won the national championship i knew that i knew that i'd play in the nhl someday now it might only be one game you know but i knew that I'd, i would get to play at least one game in the nhl and and you know this just as much as me as anyone getting the nhl is tough staying in the nhl is tougher and so I knew that, you know, after we won, I'm like, I knew I was going to play at least one game or get, you know, your shot on the 80, the 80th game of some team that knew they weren't going to win the playoffs, you know? Yeah. And, but I guess after we won, I, I kind of, I don't know. I just had this, maybe it's because my coaches were telling me or they're like, you're going to, you're going to, you're someday you're going to play. It's just a matter of when and how long, you yeah. know? Yeah, you uh, you mentioned that you wouldn't change your path, you know, and I guess, I mean, technically I wouldn't either, right? I wish maybe there had been a different result, but we are what we are, and that's why this finished product is, like, why we're having this conversation today, you know? Yeah. Um, but what I find interesting is that with a lot of stories, and we haven't gotten even into your NHL aspect yet, though, but here we've already talked about the year you've redshirted, which, you know, you said was not fun, which was really tough. But yet the tough spots seem to be the de defining points of people's careers, right? Like it's one of those ones where that you said, like your coach said, you could have taken a left or you could have taken a right. You decided to take a right and it ended up being a defining moment for you. And it really helped establish what you're going to be in the future, right? So like that's one thing I say to all the athletes I work with now or one of the points of this program is, is like that piece of adversity that you're in, whatever you think sucks right now and you hate, like if you can get through that, that's the part that's going to make you be the guy that you're going to be in the future. You know, like that, without that, like, you I mean, like I said, without that red shirt, you're maybe you don't be a guy that scores 40 goals in the NHL. Right. 
Well, you're 100% right. I mean, that taught me. You know, the thing is, I mean, you've known, you knew me when I came in the league. But back then, you know, like I said, everybody matures differently. I was very immature. And uh, that was the defining moment. I mean, I when I came into school that year, or even at Ferris State, like, I, I like to think that I always had a good work ethic. But I think that pushed me over the edge. Right. Um, because I had nothing to do. You know, like, I mean, I didn't have games. I didn't have, I didn't have this or that. So all I did was work out. And then, you know, you got it on a program and I started to love it. I started to love to feel stronger. I started, I mean, my, my chest started to get bigger. My legs started to get better, you know, and I just loved how I felt and I just kept on going. And, you know, I, you know, college can be kind of a party too. Yeah. Just made myself like, go down this path instead of that path. I'm like, okay, you have an opportunity here. You're going to play at North Dakota. I mean, next year you're going to play for sure. I mean, so this year you just got to suck it up and and do the things that Coach Blaze. You know, I had Scott Sandlin too. He's the coach of Duluth, um, Duluth Bulldogs. They won a couple national. I mean, they used to talk to me on a daily basis, both of them, and just said, you know, keep doing what you're doing. Keep doing what you're doing. It's going to yeah. pay off. It's going to pay off, you know. And, I, you know, there's times where you're like, oh, my God, I got to – you gotta go in the gym again. Like I want to play a game. Like you know, but at the end of the day, it worked out. I mean, yeah, you get addicted to the process too. I think that's one thing I found. You get in a groove like that, right? I mean, you said you started to notice the results, right? Like what you were, what you put into yourself, you get out. You know, like but it's it's not it's not a short term thing. And I think with some of these athletes now, that is one of the issues because everything nowadays is like instant gratification, right? Like. <laughs> Everything, everything in their life is like some of these kids have been born with the screen in their hands. Right. So like to think that you actually have to put in work for a long time to see some results um, is tougher for some guys. And I think learning that process and falling in love with it is a is a competitive advantage uh, th this day and age, you know, to, to really figure that out. Yeah. And I and, and the thing is, I mean, I, I know we touched on it maybe earlier, but, you know, I have four kids and, and even with my son that's 17 years old, I never the only thing that I care about with my kids and especially him playing hockey is their work ethic. Cause no matter what you do in life, you need to have a good work ethic. It doesn't matter what you do in life. And that's the only thing that I instill on him. I, I, you know, and for him, it's like, I always tell them that everybody wants results. Oh, like if I do this, this is going to happen. Well, that's not it. You have to do this over time and you got to commit yourself to doing it. And, then it might happen or it might not happen, but at least you're giving yourself the best opportunity and the best chance for it to happen. Yeah. Like I have two daughters that dance, so they did dance. I got one that's in college now, but that's all I said. I'm like, just work hard. I don't know anything about dancing, but I do know that when you're up there and you're working hard or you're working hard in this, I know that it might not pay off in a week or two weeks or three weeks, but over time it will pay off. Yeah. And you know that. I mean, yeah. And that's your identity. I mean, that becomes part of your identity and who you believe that you are, right? And like I said, that's the part that, that takes with you. And I do think that hockey really taught me that, like that, you know, that high performance environment of like how to show up, right? How to how to prepare, how to be ready, how to how to get things done, right? I mean, hey, as an athlete, that's the only thing that we can really control a lot of times, as you know, right? I mean, oh, you just got to be as ready as you can be. I mean, the coach might call your name, he might not. I mean, you might get traded, you might not, but you just got to be ready to go as best you can when you can, right? And that's uh, And that's on us. Yeah, 100%. I mean, that's yeah. the only thing we can do. Yeah. I mean, 
there's all different talents of, of, of players, especially in the NHL. I mean, you see Connor McDavid, you see this guy. I mean, they're both playing in the NHL, but this guy's talent is is above and beyond anyone else's talent that probably anyone's seen except for Sidney Crosby. Yeah. And, but when you're called upon, I mean, you talent is one thing, but work ethic will over or you know be uh, spirited to uh, um, talent. At least that's the way I feel. Take a short break from the episode here with Jason just to read out a five-star review that came in on iTunes from RTF71. RTF71 says, new listener, five stars. Just started listening and love your Rhett Warner podcast. He is great in Calgary Morning Radio and even better on your podcast. Looking forward to the Mark Dial episode. Uh, really cool. Yeah, that was a great episode. I love talking with Warrensy. He's uh, he's one of those guys where you, you rank... You rank the people you want to speak with by who you'd want to have a beer with or have dinner with. And Rhett's definitely one of those guys you want at your dinner table. Lots of fun. Lots of great stories. Um, easy to laugh with others and easy to laugh at himself. Really enjoyed that conversation. And, uh, and the Mark Dial episode has been released. And if, uh, for those of you who haven't listened to that, uh, lots of great feedback from them. Mark's story is a really wild ride and, uh, and one that needed to be told. And I was happy uh, to be... Uh, the platform that Mark was able to tell it on. So uh, definitely check out that episode. But uh, really appreciate the support. The All those reviews matter. That's why I read them. Uh, all the direct messages matter to me, for sure, uh, reminding me that, uh, you know, the podcast makes a difference and, and the stories and how we translate them uh, to the to the young players of today that want to want to fill the shoes of some of the guys that are on this podcast. Uh, it really means a lot to me. And it really helps the podcast get out, right, and expand. I know there's a million podcasts out there and you're choosing to listen to this one. And I am grateful for that. And the more that you can talk about it and uh, and share the good news that's happening here, the more people are going to be able to see it. So let's keep climbing the ranks here. Keep her going. Keep those uh, reviews coming in. And I'll read another one next week. Now back to the interview with Jason Blake. Yeah. Well, the one thing I talk about Blakey now is with these guys is that I think they... I think the biggest competitive advantage because everyone is so talented now, right? I mean, everyone's like, you know, you want to score goals, you want to do this. And even when we were playing, right? Like, you think if you lead your team in goals, you know, like the guy who scores the most goals is going to be the guy who scores in the NHL, right? I mean, that's not the way it works. At some point, there, there, there's this leveling out, and and the one thing that I'm a big spokesman for now is is that thing you're talking like the, the the work ethic, yes, but like the character also, right? Like. You talk about like sticking around in NHL locker room for a long time or any team for that matter and being successful. Like you got to be a good person in that room, right? Yeah. I mean, you got to be, you have to be somebody that's helping other people out. You have to be a, a good, a good role model. You have to be part of the culture uh, that's supporting other people. And that can be a massive difference maker for those, you know, the bottom three guys or the or six, seven D man, whatever that is. Right. Because there's probably you're splitting hairs on 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 the shot or the skating or whatever, and at the end of the day, it's like who do you want to have in that locker room? Yeah, you're you're right. I mean, I learned that early on in my career with LA. I mean, I you know I think it was it, it's always tough because we're all superstars on our team wherever we came from, or at least we were the character guys, or we were this or that. Yeah, you know, I struggled my first 
year. I mean, you know that just as much as anyone because you were there. You're a part of it. And I mean, when you're you're coming, you're a big fish in a small pond, and the only thing you want to do is play and show yourself that you can play. And you know, I was only in LA for a year and a half. I mean, there's probably a reason why I was only there for a year and a half, and I got traded to New York. And things just, you know, I just kind of woke up and was like, holy cow. I mean, I, I love my time in LA. I love the guys on the team I mean, obviously we had a superstar lineup but then i went to new york for seven and a half years and that meant a lot to me to stay i mean there's not a lot of guys that stay on a team for seven years in today's age i mean guys are moving all the time and i mean that's the one thing that i'm grateful or or something that i can say that i played at one spot for a long time i mean it says right. it says something to the organization like and as time moved on i mean you know you start to learn like okay this is you have to become a pro becoming a pro doesn't mean just playing in the nhl there's a lot of different avenues to that yeah. you know becoming a pro or becoming whatever you're going to become you have to learn to live on a day-to-day -day basis you got to learn how to act you got to learn how to play with you know 18 other guys that are just as good as you if not better than you and most of them were and I mean, it's learning how to be a pro is, is a lot different than just playing in the NHL. And you what was that? What was that for you? Because you said, um, I'm glad you brought that up. I mean, you, you, you're coming in out of uh, university. You know, you're, I don't know. Did you get a one-way contract or what did you sign coming out of coming out of there? One-way contract. So we lost to Boston College, my senior year of college. And it was in Milwaukee. And that's kind of when I met Neil Sheehy. I met him before early, like just as an introduction. Um, Neil, she was my agent um, my during my pro career, and uh, I, I talked to him after the game in Milwaukee. Not very much. My dad talked to him and just said, "Tell Jason he's going to leave next week somewhere. Don't know where." There was a couple teams that were interested, but it was on a two-way deal. So I ended up going to play in Orlando for the Solar Bears, which was awesome. We lost to, I think, the Houston Arrows in the Turner Cup Finals. It was it was a great experience though overall, and. I played five games in the IHL and things went well. I mean, I no way to put it. And LA stepped up and gave me a one-way deal. They were interested in before, but they wanted to sign me to a two-way deal. I didn't, you got to remember Jason back then. I didn't know what a one-way and a two-way deal was. I'm like, just give me the deal. <laughs> you know, right. I, well, you know, I, I had no idea. Right. It was no, what, what, I mean, what a gift though. I mean, yeah. Cause if, <laughs> if, if Orlando doesn't work out like that and you're in a two-way, not that you wouldn't have made the Kings. Like, who knows what would have happened there? But obviously, it makes you a heck of a lot harder to to send down, right, right. on a one way, as you know now, right? So, I mean that that could have got you that um, you know that first year there in the sixty four games. You said you got traded there and you were figuring it out, like that you were like a little bit shocked and you didn't have it quite figured out when you first got there. What was what was like the turning point, and what what did you have to do yourself as a person to to switch to to feel like you could last or or to be an NHLer for a long time? Well, I think, you know, my work ethic, but I think, you know, I got traded to, to when I came in LA, I mean, camp was good. I mean, you know, I, I blew my knee out the third day or the fourth day. So I basically missed the whole training camp and then it was just trying to get back. So I was playing catch up pretty much the year. And then guys started to play, you know, we had Smolensky and Murray and Paul. I mean, lines were kind of formed and I didn't handle it the best. I mean, the funny thing is people always ask me, there's things that I would take back playing in the NHL. Um, and that's the one I wish I would have enjoyed it. And earlier on in my career, I wish I would have been a better 
teammate or better person in the locker room. I didn't, I wore my heart on my sleeve, but I also wore my frustration on my sleeve. So it was hard. And when I went to New York, I got traded in New York and Mike Milbury was a GM and he sat me down and we, I mean, we talked quite a bit, you know, and all I did was went in there and worked hard. That's all I did was work hard. Whatever happens, happens. I just, I want to play in the NHL. I made it to the NHL. Now I want to last. You know, I signed my first deal. It was a three-year deal. I wanted to sign more. I wanted to play. I was having fun. And, you know, I signed a, an extension in New York. And it, it helped that we had a younger team in New York. So you could kind of relate a little bit more to them, mm-hmm. I would say. I mean, in L.A., you know, we had an not. – I'm not saying an older team, but we were – we had a lot of superstars. I mean, you know, my first roommate was Luke Robitaille. I mean, he's best left winger to probably ever play the game. Yeah. And, uh, so it was hard. And that's the one thing I wish I could take back. I wouldn't take back anything back other than that. And right, right. or to enjoy enjoy it more. I mean, I think I you know me, I was I was pretty serious all the time. Yeah. It was to smile because yeah. I was so focused and serious, but I wish I would have enjoyed it more. Right. And so yeah, that's so wild. And just for everyone listening, and I mean, this is Jason's story, but it's just like it it it, it does contrast with my story because at that moment in time, like so you were coming out of university as a 24-year-old. Yep. I had just been traded for uh for the second time to to LA for for Yannick Perot. Yeah. And and I just led the minor leagues in scoring. Like I scored 42 goals a year before as a 22-year-old, right? And and I get to camp and LA not only doesn't want to give me a one-way. But they're actually giving me a pay cut. Like I was, I didn't have a contract at camp. I don't know if you remember that, but I was like at camp without a contract because of what they were offering, right? And uh, ended up taking a pay cut after leading the minor leagues and scoring at 22 years old, right? And and you're in that, you know. And then you're you're coming from the other other side of it. You're the shiny new penny coming out of university on a one way contract, right? And it's like all these people are fighting for the same spot yet, and yet we're roommates fighting for time, kind of the same spot, right? Like. It's a really weird environment. At the time, I didn't, I mean, I didn't look at it that way at the time, you know, that you were competition, which is weird because I, I don't know. I just wasn't wired that way. We were hanging out and going to Cheesecake Factory, right? You know what yep. I mean? And, and, you, and you had your knee or whatever. But it's just, it was just such a strange existence, right? Of like in that environment, your peers are your friends, which are also competing for the same spots. You know, like you said, you were wearing your heart and your sleeve. I was trying to make friends, maybe, and maybe I went the too far the other way, right? Like I needed to be more serious, I think, because I was too worried about trying to get in the get in the social group. Uh, it was a very weird dynamic there with LA. I mean, I'll definitely say that because I played on a few other teams, and you saw them too, like with the the Rob Blakes and the uh, you know the, the Robitaille and the Stumples and and the Glenn Murrays, like there were Gary Galley, right? Like those were all great guys, but they were definitely longtime established NHLers. Yeah. And there's this other group of us that weren't. And I, and in that team in particular, I felt that there was a big separation, like just from a social side. Oh, I, I you know what? That's, <laughs> that's a good point, actually. Because you are, I mean, if you look at, you know, we had Blakey, Nordstrom, Modry. I mean, we'll say those are, and Galley. Those are our top four. And then we had, you know, Robitaille, Stumple, Palfi, Smolinski, Glenn Murray, and I can't remember who was their line mate, but or uh, uh, Donald Adet. Yeah, yeah. And then after that, it was just—I mean, there was separation. I mean, those guys have all played in the league for a long time, and you know, here we are, or at least me, coming in my first training camp or coming into the league for the first time, and you know. But now, I, you know, 
I think I, I made my own break there though, too. Sometimes, you know, I probably talked too much or said some stupid stuff and I can own that, you know, yeah. seven years old and I look back at my career and that's why I, I tell people, I'm like, I don't regret anything. I mean, I wish, I wish I already got a chance to play for the Stanley cup. I played in the playoffs enough, but I never, I never got yeah. past the first round. But I mean, I look back, I said, I wish I would have enjoyed my time. And at the end of my career, I wish that's how I acted at my beginning of my career. Right. Right. Yeah. No, great point. Well, one little, I'll just put a bow on, on the LA story for me, which, I mean, I was only there for, you know, whatever, handful of games, but it, it was, when I first got called up after that trade, which another thing uh, I've, I've, I think I've said it once in this show before, but like the whole one way, two way contract, I had a deletion clause in my entry level contract that if I played 40 games over that three year period that I would, it would, it would uh, change to a one way, right. A deletion clause. Yeah. So that they left me in Long Beach. So when they called me up for the six games, I ended up at 39 for my entry level contract. <laughs> so, you know, so that was that, that was where that thing came from. But in that, in that game, uh, I think it was like the second or third game, it was Gary Galley's a thousand game. Do you remember that? Yeah. And then, so they wanted to buy him. I forget what they wanted to buy him a watch or something. I don't know. Like the team wanted to buy. So they went around to the room. I think it was 500 bucks a guy. Like I'd been there for like legitimately one day. Right. And, I, and they're asking me for 500 bucks. It was, like, I think there was just a bit of a disconnect with that team. Right. I mean, like they were so established and so there, they didn't really get the fact that I just finished making 37, five in long beach. Right. And 500 bucks to me um, was a lot more than maybe it was to them. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, those guys, well, yeah, but those guys were all making big money. That's what I mean. That's what I mean. But you know what I mean? Like, there was just a bit of a disconnect, I think. And and it was because, I mean, the team wasn't in the playoffs. And you've seen that, too, before, right? Teams that are teams that are wired and rolling at the end of the season, it's, you know, it's a more of a togetherness, cohesive unit. And, and there it kind of wasn't. And again, those guys were great guys, and they're nice to me. But just little things like that were kind of, like, interesting to me. Because as your career goes on, you see how how it's kind of done differently in different spots. At what point, Blakey, so you go to the Islanders, like you said, you end up signing the extension. Um, w w was there a point in time that you can look back and be like you felt like an NHLer, like that you were one of the club, that you were there and you were going to be there for a while? Yeah, I think it was probably my probably my second year, my my second full year in, in, in New York. I think that's what it was. You know, we when I got traded in New York, Butch Butch Goring was the head coach. Great guy, love him. <laughs> but and uh, you know, then he got let go, and then Peter Laviolette came in uh, my first year, and you know, I got to play. I mean, I think I don't know. I I, I probably played all all eighty two games, or you know, I played a lot, not a lot in a game, but I played. I think I played every single game played with Claude Lapointe and Steve Webb. And then over the summer, um, I talked to Lavi once. And then at training camp, I talked to him. And he, all he said to me, like, you, you have so much more in you. Like, we have to figure a way to get that out of you. Because you know, and I know, like, I was fast. I was quick. So, I mean, guys that are fast and quick, I mean, I was smaller but I could get away from people so much faster. I think half the thing is confidence. You, when, when you have, when you're playing with confidence, you feel way more, you feel better about yourself. And I don't know. It was just, it was probably, you know, 10 games, maybe even longer in, you know, he, he started to put me in a different role or, or more of a role. I should say, I mean, I played fourth line with Claude Lapointe. It was great, great guys, great fun to play with, but you didn't, as a fourth line guy, you don't play as much, obviously, but I did get to kill penalties. Um, 
I don't know. He just expanded my role a little bit and it kind of took off. And that's why that would have happened. Like obviously he talks to you in the summer. He says, I see more in you. Was that about it? Like, had you created some trust there and and he, he just wanted to, you know, see what you could do. Well, I mean, he, yeah. I mean, he would tell me like, you're so, he go, you're so freaking fast. Like we just have to figure out like how to, do more offensively you know and I, I told him i said well shit i dumped the puck in every time i get to the red line because i'm scared that you're gonna bench me you know but it's again, good point what did he say to that well it's well he said well we don't want you we didn't ask you to do that and i'm like bullshit you always say that dump it in if we turn it over we sit you know but it's again it's that word confidence you know you right. know anything you do if you have confidence and you feel like you can make a player or score a goal you know, it's going to start coming for you, and it comes a little bit easier. You're not gripping the stick as tight. Well, and the I game know. slows down a little bit. What's that? And the game slows down a little bit for you, right? Because, 100%. yeah, you, you're not well, – let's touch on that, though, for a second. I think that's like – when I'm, I have private clients now where I help them with stuff like, you know, the off-ice stuff to try and be the best player on the ice, right? I know we haven't talked about this too much, and you are asking me some questions offline about it, but – um, that's one of the that's one of the age old questions for everybody, and we've all been through it. If you ever played, right? The, like the how do you get confidence so that you can get confidence by earning it? We talked about the process, falling in love with what your off ice routine is, right? And you you can you can grow some confidence by what how you approach things, right? So you feel ready, you feel prepared. That's one way for sure. But when you're on the ice and you legitimately think that you're going to get benched if you make a mistake, and maybe there's a reality to that, how do you conquer that? Did you were you able to figure out the the magic solution to be able to do that, or does it need to have that coach that you know is maybe going to let you have another shift, or who believes in you is going to put you out in the ice again? Well, I think it's a combination of both. I mean, I I absolutely loved Peter Laviolette. He's probably one of my. I mean, I had a lot of good coaches, but he was probably my favorite coach. Just a great guy, great human being, and I'm glad he's, you know still coaching to be honest with you because he deserves it but yeah you know it was i i'll never forget it we were playing dallas at home and i was playing fourth line and you know i don't know maybe someone wasn't playing as well he bumped me up to the second or third line or whatever it was and and so now i'm playing a lot and now i mean the more you play the better you feel the more comfortable you feel i mean it goes hand in hand with confidence goes hand in hand with a lot of things i mean you sit on the bench for you know, you get called on, tapped on the shoulder to go out there to bang a few bodies, and then you come back, get some energy in the building or energy on your team or a spark lifted or, you know, lift a spark for your team. I mean, that's that's one thing. But if you know that you have it in you or, or you think you had it in it to go out and score goals, and I, like I said, we're playing Dallas at home, and I, I, uh, I don't know, it was in the third period, down, we're down, uh, we were up or it was a tie game or something. And I scored the game winning goal and I'm not tooting my own horn or anything, but I scored the game winning goal. And ever since that game, it's like he, I don't know what it was. He like had confidence in me. He loved how I was playing. He would talk to me even all the way up to Dallas game. He's like, you know, I had like three points in the first four games um, that year and then I you know played fourth I was still playing fourth line but he would mix me into some guy that wasn't playing as well yeah so, you know I, I was still on my line I would start start my with Claude Lapointe and Steve Webb which was fine I love playing with those guys but sometimes Steve Webb would hit me instead of the opposing guy you know but 
I would always start there, but by the, I knew like in, I don't know. I just knew that he would put me up and you know how it is. Lines are never set in stone, especially during a game. Guys get moved around constantly. And for the next two or three or four games or something, I was still on the fourth line, but to start. And then he would move me up and I would get an assist or score a goal or something. And then I don't know. It just from that on, it just, that's the year I scored 25 goals. And I think, you know, you score a couple goals and, and you know that if you make a mistake, you're not, oh, shit. Yeah. You know, he's yeah. going to now. Or I turn the puck over. Because, you know, if guys are scoring goals, you know this just as well as anyone, they get a lot more leeway uh, on if they turn the puck over. If it's in the back of our net, they're still going to play because they're yeah. scoring goals all the time. And, and uh, I think that was the – for me, that was the moment where I knew – you know, then you start getting hot and you start scoring goals and you're like, well, shit, I fit in here. You know, this yeah. is great. What a great story too, because I mean, that's, that's the other thing. And I was talking with Jason Krog, a uh, name you obviously know, oh. I'm, I'm, I'm sure, right? Kroggy. And then uh, we were talking about resistance, like how, how we can have resistance in, in, in a role that we've been given or in a situation, you know? So, and a lot of guys get caught up in that, you know, and, and it sounds like you were able to establish yourself and own your role in that fourth line role. I mean, be a PK guy, own what you were doing there, even though you've maybe felt that there was more for you, right? That you could have done more, you could have been bigger, but at least you had that role and you owned it. And then when you were given the opportunity, you were able to step into it. And then all of a sudden that grew. Um, I'm sure you saw guys come through that didn't like the role that they were doing. And because of that, you know, they ended up being nothing and then and then weren't able to to establish themselves. Yeah, I mean, why well, I, I hated playing fourth line. Everybody, no one likes to play fourth line, but I just accepted it. You know, we had a good lineup. Um, did I want to play more? Of course. Do I did I think I wanted I should have played more? Of course I did. But I think that there was a certain time it's like we were fourth line, but we weren't treated like fourth line. I mean, we actually played 10 to 15 minutes a game. Oh, so well, that's great. You know, great. 10, 10 minutes a game for for our line, but then depending on how many penalties, you know, clogged the point and I would play more. Yeah. So I was always playing, you know, 10 to 15 minutes a night. So, I mean, that's a lot. Yeah. And I just think you, you, over time, I mean, you just, even like Claude Point got moved up to play also on, on different lines, you know. Uh, if guys weren't going – you know, they, they don't get to play as much and another guy steps up and but that's the thing. So you, you said it, the acceptance part. And I think that athletes have a hard time with that. I mean, I try to, I try to provide lessons here in, in these, in these interviews. And I think that's one of them is like, you cannot like where you're at, right? You can, you can, but you need to accept it. And that's where the resistance comes in, right? Cause you can be really resistant about it. And that resistance like takes your energy away and your focus and all these other things. Right. But so you can, like I say to athletes all the time, you don't have to like it. I'm not telling you to like it at all, right? I don't want you to like it, but you need to accept it. And you want to know something? That's what happened in LA. <laughs> exactly. Right. And like that, I, you, throughout my whole life, I've kind of worn my heart on my sleeve, but in LA, I wore my frustration on my sleeve too. And I hated playing fourth line, hated it, you know? And because you, with Andy Murray, you just never played. You, you know, and then they'd say, well, you're not scoring. Well, shit, I just played four shifts. How am I supposed to score in four shifts? Or, And you know how the league is. I mean, if you play on the power play, you're going to score or get points. I mean, yeah. not, nowadays, the first power play on every team is so potent that, you know, they have all these superstars. And 
that was the one thing that, like I said, if I could go back in time, I wish that's what I would, I would have changed right sure. off the the resistance, the resistance yeah. to it, yeah, and, I, and the response to it. I had it more than probably more than more than most guys, right. you know? but you know, yeah. as on, you just accept it, and and I think you, I felt more comfortable in New York, and I, and like I said, I loved Peter Laviolette. I yeah. wish he would have been my coach, my whole career, whatever team I was on. I just loved him as a coach and as a guy, and he was fun. He was funny. He made things, you know, and he did a great job there. Yeah, but, you know. How did you go about, I mean, I know it's not conscious. It's another thing that I think is really important and, and really important actually right now with a lot of athletes like trying to find jobs somewhere, right? And they weren't able to play this year or whatever the case may be, like having the trust of that coach and, and having a relationship with them that they're going to go to bat for you. Uh, is Was that, I mean, sometimes it's luck of the draw, I think. I mean, personalities click sometimes, sometimes they don't. Um, but did you feel like that your approach to the game or the, maybe the way you played the game, like what was endearing to uh, to you or uh, for Peter? Well, I think what I, just my work ethic, like it didn't matter if I played five shifts or 10 shifts or all I did was work hard. Now, if I played five shifts, I'd let them know that I was pissed, <laughs> but uh, that's it. I mean, really, yeah. I mean, we got along. I mean, he was a USA guy. He was a college guy. Um, you know, I just, I don't know. We just connected. And, and I, like I said, I loved him. I mean, yeah. he was great. I mean, in, I think he saw more. He saw something in me that maybe Andy Murray didn't see in me. I mean, he was my second coach, really. But I was when I got traded. I only played twenty-five games in Long Island or whatever it was until the end of the season. So with Butch Goring, I mean, it was fine. Plus, we were they were out of the playoffs so early that it didn't matter. He was right. playing guys, anyways. But for I don't know, just my work ethic. He he'd always tell me like I love the way you work. I mean, just keep doing. Yeah. I wasn't afraid to go in a corner with Sedana Chara. I knew I was going to get my ass. You know, it's how many guys go in there the first time. They won't go in there the second time. Well, I just kept going in there. But I played with Z that year, but I'm just using him as an example. Yeah. I mean, Chris Pronger. I mean, it's not fun going in the corner with Chris Pronger, but are you going to go in there the second, third, fourth, fifth time? Yeah. On the first time, you just got manhandled by a guy that's six foot six. And that's what I did. I mean, you know, I just kept going i was like the energizer buddy just kept going and going and going and you know i'd get the shit kicked out of me and it didn't matter I just kept Good doing for it. you as as a guy i mean we'll go with five nine um <laughs> there's a lot of young athletes out there though like that are that are worried about their size or their or you know that they think it's going to hold them back like is, is there any message to those kids out there is that it like I always say you can just like be be the most competitive. Like you're not going to maybe knock guys over, right? But you can be a real pain in the ass to play against, and you can be noticed by doing that. Like you said, going to the corner again and again and again and not going away. Like there's something to be said for that. I mean, is is there something that you would say as far as a guidance for for some of these young players? Well, I I mean I I think that everyone has a shot. I mean, to be honest with you, it size is not a mat. Well, you know, since they changed the rules, I mean, little guys are the best players in the, on the, in the league. I mean, look at St. Louis was five foot seven. Look at this, this kid from Montreal, the kid that won the Hobie Baker. He's only five foot seven or something. I mean, just pursue your dream no matter what. And, you know, size isn't a big deal anymore because you can't hold up, you know, and fighting's really not a part of the league anyway, so just go play your game, do your thing, and everyone has a shot to make the NHL. 
I mean, yeah. it doesn't. I mean, as far as size goes, I mean, listen, I I remember coming to the league, and this is and this is Andy Murray in a nutshell right here. And I liked Andy Murray. You liked Andy Murray. I mean, he was a different cat, but I'll still never, I'll still remember, or I'll never forget that. Um, he's like, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna put you on a line, and I like basically prove yourself. Okay, so I played with Ziggy, Ziggy and and Stumple, and like we had like they scored and I had a couple of points and then Stumple went down and he goes, here's your chance to play center. Okay. Well, who do we play against? Lindros. He, he, he made me shadow Lindros, Renberg and Leclerc. Like, are you kidding me? With the centerman down low, I was dash five. That was the end of that. I was like, I'm out. <laughs> I got traded shortly after that. I was like, that is bullshit move ever. He, he was just trying to make a point. Like, you know, Oh, uh, me. Yeah, I remember, and Eric Lindros was like, I mean, he was one of the best. But yeah. I remember going in a corner like that. It was like a little fly on his ass. He just went like this, get off me. I was like, that five that game. And then I was like, okay. That's so funny. I, my first game in Toronto after the trade from Florida was in Maple Leaf Gardens against the Flyers. And they had the Legion of Doom. And, yeah. uh, Ended up playing against them like the first period. We actually did okay, like Brendan Conbury, myself, and Nick Kiprios. And uh, we scored a goal in the first period. Ended up playing less, but Lindros ended up getting four goals that game and beat us. Like he, they that like people forget how strong that that line was. It was crazy. Um, oh my! Well, the thing is, but you were were you playing center? No, I was right wing. Well, see, then you just have to cover your point. I had to go down low with these guys. And it was like, you get shoved off Lindros, and you get bumped into LeClaire, and then he bumps you off, and then all of a sudden, <laughs> you're face planning with Ren Renberg. And I'm like, oh, my God, seriously, when's get me out of this game. I had, I'll tell you a funny story, which you can relate to. I had I had LeClaire, I'll never forget it. He was he was taking a puck on the half wall with his butt out. You mean, I don't know how big his butt, his big his ass was, right? So he's, he's playing a puck on the half wall, trying to get out of the zone. And I just had him lined right up. I was like, okay, here we go. This I'm going to make my name for myself. And I go to run him over he didn't even know i was coming i was like 205 pounds right 210 pounds i knocked the wind out of myself trying to hit him and he didn't even know i was there i had to go to the bench and sit down and have a breather those guys were beasts it was hilarious you um i want to talk just a little about the role like of because you were a bit of a shit disturber and you were a guy that other guys didn't like to play against or wanted to hate you know um was that something that you were intentional about it. Maybe that's the right word to use it. Was it something that you were trying to do or was it just sort of the way you played and, and, and the way you were received? Well, I think earlier in my career, I think, I, I mean, I did. And I mean, it backfired on me, uh, not only with opponents, but even teammates. And, uh, you know, it's funny. I told this story a couple of weeks ago that no one, no one's really known about it except for guys on the team in New York. And I remember it was, I can't, I, it, it was the year I scored maybe 28, 28 goals, the Olympic year. We were playing Washington. We were playing Washington at home, and I didn't, I didn't score for like four or five games. And I was sitting, it was after pregame skate, and uh, so I'm sitting in the, in the lock. You know, we, we come off pregame skate. Guys are on there for 10, 15 minutes, however long you want to be on there, and then you come off. And, and the trainer comes in and goes, hey, Mike wants to see in the in the, in the the uh, hallway you've been to the Coliseum, you know, in the hallway. And I'm like, Oh shit. So I go out there. I got my bottoms on, you know, my breezers, my skates on. I'm like, Hey Mike, what's up? He goes, nothing. Come let's, you know, walk down here. We're going to talk. And I was like, Oh shit. Cause I didn't want to be traded. I love Long Island. I never wanted to leave Long Island at all. Not one 
ounce of me wanted to leave there. And I was like, so I'm thinking, oh, my God, am I traded? Did I just get traded? Did I just get traded? And, and Mike goes, how's it going? I said, well, good. I said, how are you? And he goes, good. I was like, oh, how are we going to start this conversation? And he goes, how do you think you're playing? And I was playing well. I just wasn't scoring. So there was something missing from my game. Yeah. And he pointed it out you know mike Nelbury, and i love mike i mean he was one of the best to me because you know he gave me a chance and he talked to me all the time and if guys don't talk to you they don't like you right it's not yeah. the thing and but he talked to me all the time and he goes well there's something he goes i agree you're playing well but there's something that's missing from your game and i said well what's that he goes he goes sorry i just dropped my phone um he goes i want so we're playing the washington capitals it was like ov's first or second year third year whatever he goes, you're not talking enough. I want to make sure that every player on that team wants to kill you by the end of the night. And I'm like, okay. He goes, got it. I'm like, okay. So then I came back and, you know, Michael Pekka was, he was my roommate. He sat next to me and we were best friends when I played in, in Long Island. We was roommates for three years and, and he goes, what, did, what was that about? What was that about? And I said, well, he told me that I got to make sure that every fucking player on that team hates you. And he's like, oh boy. So then we go on, we play, you know. He's the only one that really knew. Because I, you know, everyone kind of just, just got out of the locker room and they're going home to eat or whatever. Right. And so we're playing and I ended up scoring two goals that night. But the story, so we it was after the second period or something. And I my, like my jaw hurts from talking all night. And I remember after the second or third period, Eric Cairns, and Eric Cairns was a great guy. I mean, he really was. And he, he stuck up for, for me and all the teammates. You know, he was a tough guy, and he was he was extremely tough. And I remember him standing up in the locker room. He was like, are we allowed to swear on your program? <laughs> if you want to, boss. <laughs> no, it was, fuck, Blake, like, enough. Like, I can't protect you all night long. <laughs> like, Jesus, like, stop it. Like, he's he's pissed, right? And, like, Aaron Ashton was on the team. He's like, Blakey, seriously, enough. And I'm like, well, that's what I was told to do. And they're like, by who? And I'm like, well, Mike. And then Peck said it. He goes, this is what Mike wants. And and Karen's, he's like, all right, go ahead. I got your back, you know. And it's funny. It's like, that's kind of like the MO of like, of, of, of how like it started for me. Like, I, I mean, did I talk on my own? Yeah, but like Mike, pushed my button he knew that i was being effective when i talked you right. know guys i mean you saw it you know when i was in len barry at first training camp wanted to you know kill me the first second day of training camp or whatever in the third fourth day and i didn't i didn't know len barry was i'm like who the hell is len barry but anyway, <laughs> you know so as time goes on you know and then i remember like so after the game mike comes down and he, you know, GMs don't normally come in the locker room, right? He came down and, and gave me a, like a fist pump or a high five. He goes, that's how we fucking do it. And and I ended up scoring two goals. I mean, I'm not saying the reason why I scored two goals is why yeah. is a talking, but he said, that's the edge I want to see. So then, I, I mean, as time goes on, like, I'm like, shit, every single game. I mean, he would remind me on a on not a game to game basis, but he remind me like, just remember, this is what you got to do. Right. And I was like, that extra edge, hey. And then I'm like, well, shit. I mean, I it's exhausting. I mean, I got guys chasing me around the ice, want to kill me. <laughs> I don't want this anymore, and I'll never forget. I know I'm fast forwarding, but you know, we played. That's when Lindros, Flurry, and all these guys played for New York. 
you know, and obviously the Islander, they play for the Rangers. The Islander Rangers was a big robbery. And I, Thero Flurry would used to chase me around the ice. It's like, I'm going to fucking kill you. You're fucking, you. you know, and I would just be yapping and yapping and yapping. And same with Lindros. They wanted to rip my head off. And I, I'll never forget, I was I was playing in, we're, this, I'm really fast forwarding, Chicago. Um, Theo Fleury was in Chicago. It's the year I scored 40 goals. And we, I lined up next to him on the, on the, we were playing wing. I'm playing right wing. He's playing left wing off, you know. And he looks at me and goes, Blakey, I always knew you'd score goals if you just shut the fuck up. Hey there, just going to take a second to remind you that you can follow me on Instagram at Jason Podolan. I, I'm quite active on there with my stories and with posts, um, helping helping players and uh, and coaches and parents navigate this space called hockey. Uh, you can also get in touch if you're a hockey parent to my parent group, a growing group, over a thousand hockey families from across North America, uh, where we get together to support each other, celebrate, and work through the challenges of uh, of this game called hockey. And that's up my hockey uh, slash parent group in Facebook. Uh, by all means, join us there. Or you can watch these, uh, these podcasts and some of my clips and my coaching clips on YouTube. That channel is also growing. That's Up My Hockey on YouTube. Uh, three great places to follow uh, if you like the content here of Up My Hockey and dig deeper into mindset and the other things that are involved in becoming the best that you can be. Uh, so now back to the episode with Jason Blake. And I said, well, back then I had no choice. I had to because my baby, <laughs> I knew if I wanted to stay somewhere. I had, you know, you got to do what the GM wants you to do. So did you, so then in saying that then, so you kind of, you found a happy medium there somewhere where you kept it a part of your game, but not such a focal point and, and you kind of, you know, whatever found a home within that and within that personality. Yeah, I just stopped. I mean, you know, I just, after that, that, that year was a special year for me. I don't know. I just, you know, you just. I don't know. It's it, well, you know, it's exhausting. I mean, right. every single game, guys are chasing around. They, you know, they hit you late, or I mean, they might get a penalty, but they're 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 you're a target on your back. Yeah, yeah. Off of it. I mean, you're, the older you get, again, maybe some guys mature when they're thirty four. <laughs> so uh, you just, I don't know. It's just whatever. It's. It, Oh, it was, it was, it was exhausting. I, I hear you, man. You know what? I want to be respectful of your time. I, I like, there's like, we haven't talked about cancer. We haven't talked about your Florida goal season. We haven't talked about going to Toronto and what a crazy place that is. We haven't talked about the Olympics. Um, so there's so much good stuff. And I told you this would happen. Um, but are you, do you, do you need to run or do you want to, we have I a part two another, here? I got another about 15, 20. I have to go pick my eight year old up from school. Okay, perfect. You let me know when then. So we'll, we'll, we'll bowl through here. Cause I want to touch on that stuff. Um, first of all, man, like massive respect and massive congratulations because, you know, 25, 22, 28, 40, like that's legit, man. Like that's legit hockey, legit numbers. Like I want to congratulate you on that. And what an epic year to have that 40 goal campaign in a contract year. Like, wow. Um, how did that all go? Like, walk me through that. I mean, the 40 goals, you know, you're in a contract year. You're not an idiot. You know, it matters. You know, like how did you handle that whole environment? You know, it's it's funny. I knew it was a contract year, but I didn't think of it like that. Like, I knew my home was on Long Island. Like I said, I, I loved it there. I mean, I know the rink. Everyone says, oh, the rink's a dump, or it was a dump, the Coliseum. But I loved it. I mean, fan base was unbelievable. They supported me. I 
I mean, there's a lot of jerseys with Blake in the stands. I mean, it was home for me. I love the whole organization. I love Charles Wong. Um, God rest his soul. But, you know, we came in and Teddy Nolan became our coach that year. Great guy. Love that guy. And uh, he put me on a line. I can't remember. It was Sean Bates, and uh, I can't remember who our centerman was. And, uh, uh, God, I can't remember. But anyways, so we, we you know, training camp was was good and, and, and everything. And, and so we went in the first four games of the season. We started out west. So we played, El- we played Phoenix, San Jose, L.A., and Anaheim. And I had, like, I didn't. I didn't, I just came off 28 goals. So I was hoping that I'd, you know, play a little bit more. We just got Mike Sillinger um, over this, over the summer. We got uh, Victor Kozlov over the summer, which was, you know, one of the most skilled guys that I think to ever play the game. Yeah. Big Russian could skate. Um, and I just wasn't seeing the, I don't know, the first four games were tough. And I, and I came back and I never, I'll never forget this. I went, I, I had, I thought I've established myself enough to go talk to the coach. So I knocked on the door and we were like, we won like one game, tied one game and lost two games or something like that. Yeah. So I just said to him, I said, I, I, I need to, cause he, he's like, you know, we need more offense. And I said, well, I need to be on a more offensive line. You know, you can't, it's hard to score on this. It's hard to score in the league if you're not on the power play. And it wasn't even that I wasn't on the power play. It's, it's just, you know, everything leads into one thing, and that's confidence. So you, you touch the puck a little bit more on the power play. You make more plays on the power play. That confidence just builds and builds and builds and all. It's like the game slows down, like you said earlier. And so he goes, okay, I'll put you with Yashin and Kozlov. And the moment that happened, it, like, turned you know, first game I had two goals, one assist. Next game I had a goal and two assists. I'm just using an example. I don't remember. Yeah. Like, well, yeah, yeah. Oh, I do actually. <laughs> but uh, you know, <laughs> things just—I mean, it like didn't stop. You know, when you think you're on a roll, you know it's going to come to an end sometime. It yeah. just never stopped. You know, and I just was like—I mean, there was a game after the tenth game with those guys. I was like, holy shit! Like this is fun, right? You know. And then you kept scoring goals and you kept scoring goals. And then it was, we played Columbus at home at, you know, scoring 20 goals in NHL is, is, a, is, is awesome. But like things were going so well, I scored 20 goals before Christmas. And I was like, Jesus, you know, and you, I felt so comfortable there. It was home to me. And I never wanted to leave there. And the guys on the team like embraced it. There wasn't any jealousy, no nothing. Because I got a I got break, you know. I, and it's what you do with your break is is what's going to help you along the way and get you where you want to go. And things just worked out. And then we we were competitive. We we played in the you know the playoffs, and that's year we traded for Ryan Smith. And you know I don't I don't know. Just it worked out. I mean I don't. It it was a it's a a year that you'll never forget because you couldn't writ- written a better script. Yeah. You yeah. know, 40s ridiculous. That's awesome. That's and, so cool. Toward 40. I mean, just like, you know, I went, I, I remember this, I went two eight game stints without scoring a goal. And I, I remember sitting next to uh, Marty St. Louis. I sat next to Marty and Vinny and Eric Stahl in the, in the all-star game. Cause I played, you know, I was fortunate to play in the all-star game and, I was just like, oh my god! I, I got a funny story because Joe Sackett was my favorite player ever growing up. So we were at the All Star game in Dallas, and I bought this 
Joe Sackett jersey. Like he was like my idol. And so I saw him and, and he's sitting around his, I think his mom was there. Like his family was there and my family was there too, but I was just, and I went up to him and I said, Joe, I said, could you sign this for me? And he goes, well, who do you want me to make it out to? I said, just put to Jason, your best friend, Joe Sackick or something like that. You know? And he goes, he goes, is it for you? And I said, yeah. I said, you're my, like, you're my hero. I mean, Gretzky was my hero too, but like, you were my hero. I mean, you're the, um, I know I'm getting off track, but like we used to talk about it. Like even at the all-star game, like Marty looked at me and he's like, holy shit. Like you, you went eight games without scoring a goal. Like, could you imagine if you just, like you should have scored 50 that year. I mean, with the year that you had, right. and I know that's a far stretch, but I'm just saying like, you know, when the stars align for something, that's what they did to yeah. be honest. They yeah. just, and I don't, I had great teammates. I, I mean, awesome teammates. Great. I played with some great players um you know and i think once you get your confidence and the puck starts going in i i think there's something inside you that says i'm gonna score and I'm, i mean like it's gonna i'm gonna score right i don't yeah. know what shift or what period i'm gonna score in it's yeah. just and i know That's that probably, that probably sounds cocky but i think you get to that point where like the i mean there's games that i played like shit like i was awful and i would score a goal yeah i hear you but let's but let's briefly like so yeah that all-star game and so you're there with joe sackick and you're in your childhood idols and you're in the locker room blake's on the back of the all-star jersey like that there must have been a lot of surreal stuff happening that that weekend for you like is, is that still one of your fondest memories looking back on that yeah i mean i got i played you know yeah it is i mean i played in the world cup in 04 that was kind of my first USA that's basically essentially the same thing as the Olympics. It's just, yeah. they call it the world cup. I mean, the same guys go, it's the best of the best. I'm not saying that I should have been there, but I, I was there. And, but yeah, the all-star game was special. I mean, I remember walking into the rink, we were playing a game and our PR guy was standing there and I, I, he had an all-star hat in his, in his hand. And, uh, I walked in and he goes, Blakey, congratulations. And I go, what's, I didn't even know what the hell was going on. He was, you just, you made the NHL all-star go, go, go in the, you're supposed to stop and see Teddy Nolan. And so Teddy and, and like, uh, Gar Snow was our GM at the time. And, and, uh, you know, they congratulated me and, but it wasn't, it didn't even hit me, you know, like you go there, you know, you got all these superstars and, you know, that's, I was only there once and that's probably one more than I probably should have been. <laughs> <laughs> all these guys on like Sidney Crosby was there for the third year in a row. Ovechkin, I was all these guys, you know, and it's yeah. it's just a cool moment. And yeah. it's, I mean, what I've so I think of all this stuff that I've done in my career and that are special to me. I mean, the one thing that I wish I would have done is one or got a chance to win a Stanley Cup, and yeah. you know, and that's the one thing I wish I would have got to do, especially in New York or even in Anaheim would have been cool just with the guys on the team uh they won in 07 but what a great group of special special group of guys in anaheim but i mean yeah, playing in the olympics and the world cup and in the all-star game i mean sometimes you don't have that chance to win a Stanley cup so yeah. you these are your other things that we're super special and proud about and 
Yeah, no, congratulations, man. You, you talked about being comfortable, and that's that is like an interesting thing that I think the common fan doesn't really get. And like when you know when people move at the deadline, and now you're you know you're in a new environment, or you know trades happen, or whatever the case may be, and you, you automatically assume the same players are going to show up in this new environment. But the the environment is different. Everything about it's different, right? And and so. Like I talk about that being the person behind the player, right? Like the player is the guy on the ice, but there's a person involved and everything else that's going on there, right? And the environment's different. Um, you spoke, you spoke about being so passionate about being an Islander. Uh, was it just, was it just way too far apart on money? Like when you decided to go to Toronto, uh, like what, what made you make that, make that choice of leaving a place you were so at home after this miraculous, not miraculous, it's the wrong word, but after this, you know, this, this ridiculous uh, forty goal season. Well, it's eight years later, and I'm still wondering that on a daily basis. Uh, no, you know, I think the one thing, you know, when I went to New York, I was embraced right away. And I, I, I by Mike and our Charles Wong, our owner at the time, I mean, he passed away a few years ago, unfortunately. I mean, he was one of the nicest, greatest guys ever. And he was involved with the team. Not, I'm not saying on a day-to-day basis, but um, he was involved, and it—I it, don't know. He—I don't know if he knew a lot about hockey, but he—he he was all about Long Island, and he embraced me right away. And I think it was just partly due, or main reasons, because all I did was work. I worked my ass off every shift I was out there, and he loved that. And I, yeah, I never wanted to leave. And Garth became, uh, Garth Snow became the GM, which is a super nice guy. Um, and I wanted to, I wanted a five-year deal at the time. I would have taken four years, but I wanted to, because I wanted to retire there. I mean, it's not everyone's dream to play in a spot and then retire there, work for their organization. I remember having lunch with Charles Wong in November or December or something when things started to really go my way. And I said, I want to retire here. I want to work in the organization, excuse me, um, or, you know, I want to work for you. Uh, Long Island is my home, and I loved it. I love the fans, and, you know, you, if you go to a game, and, again, I'm not tooting my own horn, but, you know, there was more Blake jerseys in the stands than any other jersey, and it f- feels good, right? I mean, it feels good. And at the time, they said, well, we're not going to do any long-term deals, and I'm like, you just gave Ricky Pietro a fifteen-year-old, fifteen-year deal, and I loved Ricky. I mean, I absolutely loved him. I loved him to death. I mean, he was a good buddy of mine, and it wasn't that him. It was just like, come on, I, I've been here for seven and a half years. I have, and, and my stake was like, I'm. You got more Blake jerseys in the stands than any other jersey. Like I, this is my home. I want to stay, and they didn't want to give me a five-year deal. So I, it's funny how it all how things work out in life. Right. Cause the first thing I did was I gave, I, I said Long Island and then I gave four other teams that I wanted to go to my agent. You know, you kind of just say, hey, this is where I'd like to go. And you know what I said to him, Jason, I do not want to go to Canada. Well, cause I didn't want to move my family at the time. I had three kids. Yeah. I just had one that was just born. She was only yeah. shit four months old. So I didn't want to go to Canada. Not nothing against Canada. I just wanted to stay in the States. I wanted right. to play New York. I wanted to play in Minnesota, Dallas, St. Louis, Tampa, you know, somewhere in the States. And the first day of free agency, Toronto and Edmonton stepped up. <laughs> it's funny. 
but uh, how things work out. But yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, I really, really enjoyed my time in Long Island. What a great place. I mean, yeah, it, it, it actually, it's sad when I look back. That's, I'm not saying it's a regret because I don't, I'm very thankful and grateful for my time that I got in each city because each city was, I mean, they're great cities, great people, great organizations, but that's the one that I wish I would have just stayed. Right. But, because it was home for me. My kids went to school. They grew up there. Um, I already had two of them were born. And so they were going to school in, in New York. Um, and, right. and, you know, it's easier to play when you feel more comfortable. Way easier. And you, and that's one of those ones that it's really tough to know until you've done it, right? And you didn't know at the time either. But Toronto, you know, my brief experience in Toronto, I was in the, with that organization for three years, man. Like that's a that's different than Long Island in a lot of ways, right? Um, and you show up there as the big free agent signing after a 40 goal season and you have a 15 goal campaign and that doesn't tell all the, all the truths of it, but obviously things went way differently for you there than they did, uh, the previous season. Like when, when did you know that it just didn't quite feel right or it wasn't quite working? The training camp when they told me I had cancer. That's, that's kind of when, it, you know, I came to camp, I was in great shape, just as good as I was the year before. And, you know, when I came to training camp and when I was told I had cancer, that's where it went downhill. You want to talk about being a miserable person to be around or, I mean, even my wife, my family. I mean, you don't know what's going to, you don't know which, you're on a path. There's 10 different roads. You don't know which road you're going down. And I, that took a lot. And, and it's like I, I said on uh, on a show last week or two weeks, like that's probably the one year, if I could take a year back, in the NHL, that's the one year. Because I remember Paul Maurice was our head coach. And I actually, Paul Maurice and I didn't get along. But I didn't get along with anyone that year. I mean, I was miserable. And I, I didn't want to play hockey anymore. I lost 10 to 15 pounds in 10 days. Uh, I was taking medicine. I mean, I'm not using excuses. I just, you know, I just, I didn't probably act the way that I should have acted. But I was miserable. And, you know, I look back at it and I, I wish I could have a conversation with Paul Maurice because he's a great coach and he's a great guy. And it's like, you can't go back, but it's, that's kind of, I knew, you know, it took me a long time to get my feet moving in Toronto and, and, you know, it had nothing to do with anyone there. Great guys. Great. I mean, I met one of the nicest guys I ever played hockey with that I'd never even liked Darcy Tucker, greatest guy in the world really is. And among other guys, and, you know, when I remember that my second year, I, things turn around. Uh, right. I just get through that first year, and and I, I know it's a long year to get through, but it's that's basically what it was. Yeah, well, talk about that, man, because, I mean, you never missed a game. So, I mean, you have cancer. You never miss a game. Like, And then you actually win the Masterson Trophy that year, and which is weird, too, right, because you're talking about it. To me, I'd be like, oh, my gosh, kind of this euphoric type thing, but it was actually like the – it was the cherry on top of a piece of shit year for you, you know, to, to, to get this award. Like, talk, talk, walk me through that. Well, it was, but I mean, it was tough. I mean, I can't, like I said, I came into camp, great shape, great everything. Just like, I mean, I trained just like I did the year before, the years before. And, you know, we had our blood tests and guys said, hey, we got to do another blood test, which is not uncommon. You know that. I mean, guys have to do multiple. They might miss something or whatever. And then the third time, that's when I found out. And I, I started taking this medicine and think of it as an athlete or a hockey player, 
you know, your muscle mass and your strength and your weight is a big deal. I mean, if you gain two pounds one day, you feel it on the ice, right? I mean, yeah. I lost 10 to 12 to 15 pounds in two weeks. From the medicine? Yeah, I couldn't keep it in. Any any food that I ate, I, it was coming out one of two ways. I know that's, you don't want to hear that on air, but that's the truth. I lost weight. I mean, I so you go in a corner, you don't win battles. You know, but I mean, they're not going to sit me because I mean, what are they going to do? Sit me because I, I lost ten pounds. It's not my fault. It's the card I was dealt. You mm -hmm. know how you handle it. I didn't handle it the right way. I really didn't. Instead of embracing the team and embracing every, you know, I was miserable. And that's like I said, that's the year that I, I wish I could take back because I remember Paul Maurice and I butted heads on a daily basis, and I don't even know for what. Because at the end of the day, he's a great guy and a great coach, and but I was just a jerk. Right. I know you said you're you're. I mean, you're upset, right, rightfully so. Like, if you could go back to that scenario, like, what would you have changed? Like, your perspective, kind of, or your approach, I, or what would you have done? I would have just been happier in, in my perspective and knew. Well, I mean, if I knew now, if I knew then what I know now that everything was going to be fine, yeah, right. well, and no, we didn't know. Right. It was on a day to day basis. Every, so much uncertainty. Every day I woke up, I felt differently. There's days I didn't, I mean, we'd be playing the whoever. I didn't want to get out of bed. And I'm like, shit, I had a pregame skate. I didn't want to, I dragged my ass to my car, start my car. I'm like, Jesus, I'm, <laughs> what, what just happened? Like, I look like I, I just lost 10 pounds, you know, and I just it came, my, you could see that, you could see my cheekbones, my eyes. So all the, the medicine, you know, you get my, you know, when you get bags in your eyes, well, all my fluid went right to my end of my eyes. So I, my eyes, you'd see my cheekbones, my bags under my eyes were just huge. I look like I didn't sleep for a year, not a year. Yeah. What, this isn't, this isn't a, a perfect parallel, but like I had Mark Dial on a little while ago. He lost his eye in a game in, uh, in the playoffs in the AHL. Great, great player. And, and, and he actually took the eye of somebody else, as crazy as that sounds, four months earlier with his skate. I mean, completely by accident. But a guy by the name of Jeff Libby lost his eye, right? So Mark yep. Dale is responsible for that. And then he loses his eye four months later. I was on the team when Jeff Libby lost his eye. I was on the ice, right? I saw it. Um, but I never, like we talked about the emotional, mental trauma of that and how there was no one there for him at the time. Like even us as, as athletes, like, you know, putting the player first, I guess, and not really thinking about how that would have made Mark feel, right? Like, was there anything for you during that? Like, you know, like you're going through cancer while you're trying to be an NHL hockey player. Like, is there anyone helping you with the, with what you're talking about? This, I don't want to get out of bed. Like, I don't well, know if I'm going to get through this. Well, I mean, my my wife at the time, I mean, we're, we're divorced now, but she was a big help. I mean, no question about it. If I didn't probably have her at the time, I mean, this is, uh, 10, 12, 13, 14 years ago, 15 years ago. So, I mean, um, so if I, I mean, she was a huge help, but I had three kids. I mean, you know, it's like to have kids playing in the NHL, you come home from practice, you're tired. Um, I was extra tired, you know, and, and then you hang out with your kids and you, for me, it's like, I was, you know, you'd, I would sit there. I, she would catch me staring at the kids, like with tears in my eyes. Cause I'm like, am I going to watch these kids grow up? I don't know. I mean, you don't know what, what right. role, you know, and I know that might be sound extreme, but it's the truth. Yeah. And uh, if I didn't have her, I who knows? 
You know, she was a big, she was a huge job. Right. But, that, but Blakey, that's unbelievable though to, to me. Like, like, cause that's where the game I think has evolved and like organizations are starting to get it more now. But can you imagine if something like that happened right now? Like whoever on the, on the Toronto Maple Leafs has cancer, like there is going to be X, Y, Z person there, like to talk to if you wanted to, right. To support them through that thing. And like, you know, it was your wife and thank God for your wife and your family. But you would think at the top league in the world that there'd be some type of an emotional support for that. Well, I did. I mean, our team doctor, Noah Foreman, I talked to him on a daily basis. I mean, there was other guys, you know, but I mean, it's, but you don't want to talk about it. Right. Right. That's the right. worst. I don't want to talk about it. Yeah. Right. All right. You know, and your saviors to go to the hockey rink. I mean, I, I will say this, that, you know, the guys in Toronto were really good. They were. But one guy that stuck out in my mind, which I I, I I never liked when I played against him, especially when he did to Michael Pekka in 2001 or 2002 in the playoffs, was Darcy Tucker. But Darcy Tucker was probably the nicest guy, most understanding guy, open guy. He would talk to me all the time. I sat right next to him in the locker room. I mean, he'd be like, hey, how, how you feeling today? How you feeling? You know, And and that means a lot. And, and there was other guys too. I'm not saying just him, but he yeah. was one guy that, I mean, you want to talk about a guy, honestly, that is so different on the ice than off the ice, it's Darcy Tucker. Because he played with an edge. You played against him. You, I'm sure you wanted to run him. You wanted to chase him down, right? But off the like, he's the most genuine, humble person that I ever played with. One yeah. of them. There's lots of guys, but he was the one guy I talked to all the time. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, I mean, and that means a lot. I mean, that was what Mark was saying, too. I mean, you get that one guy. I mean, that one team. And that's the definition of teammate. And that's what we talked about, too. I mean, having a long career, you got you need guys like that, you know, to, to be successful. Yeah. And uh, and that's awesome. You recognize them. Um, goodness, Blakey, I know you're tight for time. I don't want to run I, it out any farther. Um, would love to have you back on. I mean, you know, one, it's, it's awesome catching up, man. I, I love catching up. It was great to see you. Uh, if you want to come back for part two, I'd I'd love to have you. But uh, I know you got to go get your eight year old. I got to respect your father duties here. Yeah. Well, thanks for having me, Jason. It's great to see you, man. You're looking good. <laughs> trying, trying. Thanks. You too. Uh, we'll have to. We'll have to. Ha Are you still golfing, by the way? I do golf. I do. I I uh, I do golf here and there. Um, All right. But I mean, I got four kids, and three of them are at home, and um, my ex wife is near the. You know, she lives. She still lives in Minnesota and Minneapolis, but they got, the kids are with me more, and which is great. I mean, I love it, especially my seventeen-year-old. And you know, today is. I mean, my youngest. My youngest. That's eight goes back and forth, but I have them this weekend, and uh, but it, it works out great. We get along. She's a good person, and right. so helps you. But I know what you mean. That cuts into uh, the four and a half hour golf rounds, right? Yeah. yeah. I just circled it a little bit, but I'm. I, <laughs> dating someone so it's all good We're all <laughs> good man good to hear good to see you great to catch up and um yeah i'll uh yeah tux has actually been on my list of guys to reach out to and talk with actually i think he'd be a great guest to have on oh, and yeah. and actually ricky do you have ricky's contact info ricky dpho no i live with him i live with him in bridgeport for a whole for a whole year so it was find a gym with ricky <laughs> the year that we had the lockout year do you did you ever see Ricky pre-lockout to post-lockout? No. Was he huge? Oh, my God. I remember I remember because the lockout was the World Cup, you know, um, yeah. that year. So I didn't see Ricky for like six, seven months or whatever it was, you know, because we yeah. didn't play in 0405. And then I saw him in, in uh, 
Colorado or something for our first for our first uh, World Cup, like you know, training camp or whatever. I was like, oh my god, he's he was benching like almost close to four hundred, still squatting one hundred and ten because his legs were about this wide. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, Ricky was one of the best guys ever. I mean, you know, you look back at your career and it's like I didn't. There's not really guys that I didn't like or that really stood out. Um, Rick, but I played a lot of good, a lot of good teammates. Ricky, yeah, that's was, funny. he was all about Long Island. He's probably still getting paid by Long Island right now. Yeah, well, no kidding. That contract he signed. Yeah, he bought a Hummer that one year, and we were there. He was he yeah. wouldn't eat a he wouldn't eat an ounce of fat, no. and uh, super wouldn't allow his own equipment in his own car. Like somebody else would take his equipment to the practice ring. Like he was a beauty in a lot of ways. But he said, really good guy, but very concerned about his fitness. That's for sure. If you have time for one question from a from a fan from sure. a guest. Okay, perfect. Um, I'll put this up on the screen. So uh, it's from uh, Cor Michael. Would love to know what Ron Wilson was like as a coach and as a person. Is this is this is this Ron Wilson asking this? <laughs> no. I, what I liked Ron Wilson. Ron, I had my first experience with Ron Wilson was in the 0405 World Cup, and but that's a totally different thing because I was, you know, we were playing in a, in the World Cup, so I wasn't playing for him like I did in Toronto. He had, I don't know, he, he was a good guy. I mean, he, I got along with him. I mean, he had, he was a smart ass. There's no question about that. Um, he did some crazy things. There's no, I remember when I was playing in Toronto with the first year that he was there, he, he you know, obviously I just got done playing the, f- the first year. I had 15 goals or whatever. It, it, it wasn't a year that was memorable to me or to anyone else. And, He's, he came up to me. He's like, God, you're playing. You're, you're doing everything that I want you to do. Go to the net, you know, play that edge game, do it all. So we didn't play for like another three days. Next game, I didn't even play. So that's kind of guy that Ron Wilson was. Like he would do, it was like he'd do things to spite for spite, you know. But at the end of the day, I did respect him. I did like him. When I got traded away from Toronto, I was actually sad. You know, that first year I wanted to run right back to Long Island. I wanted to get out of Toronto as fast as I got there. Mm-hmm. And uh, But that second year when Berkey and Ron Wilson were there, I, I really enjoyed it. I know that you asked about Ron Wilson. He's a good guy. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of different stories about him. I don't, I don't know, I don't have any story about him from a personal standpoint, but I know the way the media covered him, and there's, yeah, I'm sure there's some inside poker going on there that uh, that you could tell a few more things about. Yeah. I know you can't be super open with that stuff, but uh, yeah, some guys love playing for him. I'll say that, and some guys hated playing for him. You know, like there was well, definitely both sides of that coin. I love, I like to play for him. I just some days you didn't even know what you're gonna get. Right. Like you could be the best player on the team, and I'm not saying I was, but you could be that. And all of a sudden, he'll, he'll put you down to the fourth line. Right. He didn't let you know who's boss. It was his way. He wanted to make a stand at all times, yeah. and it's fine. Like, you know, I remember I didn't play. It was that game, and we we played in Boston. I didn't even play, and my sister's coaches were laughing. They're like, "Don't even worry about it. We don't. We have no idea what's going on." <laughs> I was like, "I don't understand that." You know. Anyways, oh, man. guys, I'm sorry. I got to go pick up my Yeah, game. yeah, no worries, Chase. man. Have, have a great one. Again, great catching up. Awesome career. Um, 871 games. Uh, so great that I was there at the start of it and got to got to watch yeah. the rest of it. So oh, we'll catch up again, buddy. Good to see you. Good to see you. Thanks, buddy. Bye-bye. Cheers. Thank you so much for staying till the end. Uh, I know that was a wild ride. Jason's story is like not unlike a lot of the other guests on here, but it's an somewhat unlikely story 
the fact that he was 24 years old in university at five foot nine, uh, coming out to have the NHL career that he did, uh, is unique. You know, it's unique, but it's also not that crazy. It, it's phenomenal to me. Uh, the stories of my guests, you know, how they arrived, their arrival, how they were able to stick around, how they were able to persevere. And Jason's story is totally one of perseverance in a lot of ways. Um, you know, to think that he might have been playing golf if it wasn't for an opportunity to play for a USHL team, uh, that he was prepared, even going to university, that he was kind of thinking about being a golf pro uh, at a local golf course and not thinking about being an NHL player and how that morphed into 800 games as an NHLer. A $20 million contract signed as a free agent. You know, playing on the U.S. Olympic team. Like, how does somebody play on the U.S. Olympic team that wasn't drafted? You know, that didn't have a job, an NHL job offer to the point of they're 24 years old. Like. This stuff really does happen, and we want to discount it and say it doesn't, but it's crazy how, how, how relatively often it does happen. Uh, lots of great takeaways from that, from that discussion. You know, the, the value of being in a safe place, a comfortable place, and how sometimes we underestimate that. Uh, not only players, but fans as well. Like when, team, when players leave to go to a different environment, a lot of things can change. The coach change, your line mates change, the, the city changes, everything changes, your routine changes, and that can affect the player. Um, you know, Jason reflecting back says maybe he wishes he would have taken less years and stay, stayed in New York. Um, although he didn't dislike his time in Toronto, he just felt like New York was home. Uh, that's an interesting takeaway. Earning the trust of your coach and finding those extra minutes, owning your role, right? Owning your role, owning your lane and then being ready to step in when you are asked to do something else. That was what Jason did really, really well in New York and was able to establish himself not only as an NHLer, but as a productive uh, NHLer that was going to score goals and was going to be in the top top six in your lineup. Um, that didn't happen overnight. You know, that was three, four years in the making where, where, where Blakey was just happy to, well, not happy, he wasn't happy. Now, we talk about that too, the, uh, the idea of not accepting where, you, or accepting where you're at, but not having to like it. And Jason hated every second of playing on the fourth line. He wanted to play more minutes, but he wasn't given those minutes. But he stayed there, he stayed, he worked his tail off, he kept committing, he kept being dedicated, showing up practice the same way, earned the, earned the trust of his coach, and then made the most of his opportunities. We also talk about the value of being a teammate, and that cannot be understated. You've heard that here lots of times before. So, so many good things there. I love that conversation. I wish we could have got into the Olympics. I wish we could have, could have got in a little bit farther. Maybe we'll have Jason Black back for uh, part two, uh, but I know there's a lot of good stuff there for everyone. So, you know the deal. Play hard and keep your head up. Until next time, it's Jason.